Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Desi, what do you have for us today? Well, I did the infamous thing we have both done where you're doing a story and at some point you're like, I cannot finish this story right now. Yeah. So I had to switch last minute. Oh my God. <sighs> that was, it was really stressful. I know. Because <laughs> I kept going back and forth and then I was like, well, now I've wasted even more time like deciding. So today we're going to talk about some Hollywood urban legends, conspiracy theories, rumors, nastiness. Oh. And I thought I would kind of follow up the Fixers episodes with a few wild Hollywood-related rumors and or conspiracy theories that have been floating around in the world for a long time. Did a Fixer cover them up? What's the story with these things? Will we be rehashing? Are we reopening the Richard Gere gerbil case? No. Um, If you don't know, we have covered a bunch of the more famous ones. So I'm going to say it up top. I know some of you like to comment while the episode's going on <laughs> and say, what about the Richard Gere episode or gerbil thing? What about the Rod Stewart comes stomach? We've covered those stories. We covered those like when we first started the show. That's yeah, so how important they are to us. They have been covered in great detail by us. And they're on Patreon. I think some of them we've j- dropped onto the main feed as like a little perk. Like the Rod Stewart come one might be there. I think at one point I, when we had to like take a week off for whatever reason, we were sick, we uploaded the gerbil one to the main feed and I was re-listening to it and being like, wow, we were really mean. Oh, right. You said that. I was like shocked at how rude we were. Well, that was, that was when we were younger and ruder. <laughs> we were a lot ruder back in 2017. Um, anyway... If it's very famous, we've probably covered it, and that's why it will not be in this episode. Um, and just to, off the top of my head, the the mudfish, the Led Zeppelin story. That's on Patreon. We've done Nancy Reagan's blowjobs. We've done Tallulah Bankhead ones. We were some of the first people in the modern era to discuss Nancy Reagan being the blowjob queen. In fact, I get mad when they don't credit that because <laughs> that's been one of my favorite pieces of information like since childhood because I've read the Kitty Kelly biography on Nancy Reagan as a kid yeah that's how cool I am you're insane <laughs> um so yes I'm sure obviously we've discussed Marilyn Manson getting his ribs taken out to suck his own dick we did because when I was compiling this I actually searched what we had done okay because there was a few I was like I couldn't remember yeah Um, but I know we have not done these for sure so I'm gonna start with the most serious and kind of the most relevant to what we just discussed on our past few episodes although we will probably do a an episode on Clark Gable. I'm pretty sure we will never do an episode on Loretta Young. So today we're going to address what is probably one of old Hollywood's biggest cover-ups, 
the subject of longstanding rumors, and that is the Loretta Young, Clark Gable, having a child out of wedlock story that we briefly reference in the episodes we just did. So my sources for this is an article by Anne Helen Peterson that appeared on BuzzFeed, several old newspaper articles, Reddit threads, and an article about the scandal in the New York Post by Lou Luminick. Lou Luminick. So if you don't know or hadn't, haven't uh, listened to the last few episodes, what is the rumor? It's often considered to be one of the biggest cover-ups of all time. In 1935, at the age of 23, Loretta Young became pregnant with Clark Gable's child while Gable was married to another woman, probably one of those old ladies. I'm sorry, the biggest cover-up of all time? From back then, yeah. In history. No, not in history. <laughs> in just, history. That, I just thought it was funny. The biggest cover up this in is, Hollywood history, yeah, probably. Yes. It's absolutely. always in every book, like I, I wasn't for challenging sure. you. Oh. I just do think it's funny that this this would be considered like <laughs> it's bigger than the JFK assassination. It's bigger than the JFK, it's bigger than 9-11. All the conspiracy theories greatest hits. No, it's it's there's about five thousand message boards devoted to this scandal. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, would it would be great though if it was? I would I would like more of these to be the huge topic of debate. I agree. I love old Hollywood cover ups. So um, over the next two years after this pregnancy, she managed to manages to hide the pregnancy, the birth and the infant for more than a year, eventually manufacturing an adoption story so she can bring her daughter home as her adopted daughter. I thought I'd give a little background on Loretta since she's probably a little less well-known to everyone today than Clark Gable is. She's probably best known for the Loretta Young show, which was a very popular TV show in the 1950s. And that was actually sort of her comeback or second act. Before that, she was a very big movie star Um, beginning to work in films at the age of three, eventually appearing in over 100 movies and winning an Academy Award for Best Actress in The Farmer's Daughter. Her sisters were also actors and very beautiful, but Loretta, who was born Gretchen, was the most business business savvy, getting her big break at the age of 14 in sort of a duplicitous way. Legend has it that a director telephoned to request her sister Polly And Gretchen answered the phone, realized what was happening and said, Polly isn't in, but why don't you use me? I'm better looking and a better actress. Wow. (laughs) She totally like stole her sister's career. We don't know. Polly could have been it. Mm. She could have had Clark Gable's baby. Um, Her career took off and she began working constantly. Silent film star Colleen Moore suggested that she take the more glamorous sounding name Loretta, and that really took her to the next level. Now, although Loretta might not have been the greatest actress, she was quite beautiful, and the boys were lining up to date her. But that was not going to happen. Loretta was off limits to them because she had a controlling Catholic mother named Gladys, who was a real prude and enforced strict rules. She even had like a priest regularly at the house to keep her little daughters in line. At the age of 17, Loretta eloped with a 28-year-old actor, and the major sin there, the actor was not Catholic. Uh Uh-oh. Loretta's mother refused to speak to her, also forbidding um, her other daughters to speak to Loretta. Even when one of the daughters was cast as her body double, she (gasps) wasn't allowed to speak to Loretta. 
So the marriage obviously fails and she returns home. When she gets home, a priest comes in to scold her saying he had already spoken to two teen girls who said to him that they wanted to elope. And if Loretta Young can do it, why can't they? So she's setting a bad example. Yes. He said, rather than give bad example, you should have a stone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. You have to decide, Loretta, where are you going? Heaven or hell? Oh, my God. So needless to say, this guilting had a profound effect on her. She finally did fall for a Catholic, but unfortunately, it was our favorite drunk with his own ambulance, Spencer Tracy. What? (laughs) Yes. He was also a married Catholic, so maybe her mom should have been more specific in what kind of (laughs) man she should get. Now... Spencer was separated, but as we all know, he refused to get divorced because he was Catholic. So they were kind of public with their courtship because he was like officially separated, I guess. And Loretta was obviously not going to have sex before marriage. So it's kind of (laughs) like, look, Spencer's, he's like cheating on his wife or whatever to have sex, not to have another relationship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's pretty frustrating for him. It's clear this probably is not going to go anywhere. And Loretta would send him letters saying, like, just hearing your voice and being near you gets me so wet and horny. And it would be really helpful if instead of encouraging me to get wet, you would, like, also be chased with me. Because mm. she's, like, mad at him uh, for, like, getting her horny. Right. And if he's, of course, he's, like, he's probably, like, that's okay, baby. And she's like, I'm trying to be a good girl, apparently not realizing how horny that sounds. Yeah, she should just not be a good girl. Yeah, and Spencer, obviously, he can't control himself. So at some point, he's just like, we got to split. I'm going to find someone who'll fuck. So luckily, they split. Loretta is off to Washington to film Call of the Wild with old fuckboy swamp mouth Clark Gable. Now, I have to say, in this article, she posted... um, a gif that was something filmed by Loretta Young of Clark Gable. I should I should get it because I was like, he actually looked cute in this picture. Oh. I was like, oh, I've never seen this look. Is this what the ladies are seeing? And he was wearing like one of those fur hats with the side, the thing that covers your ears. Yeah, with the flaps. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Wait, he, that's what made him look hot? I don't know. And he didn't have the mustache. Okay. I just was like, oh, he looks cute here. Yeah. Like, it was the first time I kind of saw it, I think. Because we don't see it. No, so maybe I can get that and we'll try to uh, post it somewhere. We we know about his breath. Yeah. So he's obviously a regular with MGM's fixers at this point. We discussed this. Um, he has a lot of affairs, notably with Joan Crawford. And he also had um, a drunk driving incident that killed a pedestrian. Allegedly. Allegedly. So those are his sort of like fixer moments. Right. Um, Loretta had never needed a fixer, obviously. But it was practice at the time to have unmarried stars have a chaperone on location shoots. And Loretta had one during the shoot. Now, this shoot was brutally cold and difficult. It was snowing a ton. It was freezing. They would have to get wet and then be like freezing. So a lot of days the um, shoots just got shut down. There was a lot of downtime. And it was during this downtime that Loretta and Clark really started hanging out a lot. They were flirting. And it kind of escalated to a point where gossip actually traveled back to Hollywood that Gable had a new young conquest on his hands. (gasps) So obviously Loretta Young would deny this because... 
um, of her, you know, her little religious thing. Her religious image. (laughs) Yeah. And she wanted to keep that good girl um, image going. And she's like, yeah, it's an onset flirtation, but nothing more. And it was on the train ride back to Hollywood that apparently Clark entered her sleeping compartment at some point during the night. Now, when the train arrived the next day, Loretta greeted her mom. Her mom was there meeting her, of course, and they had breakfast with Clark. They continued shooting scenes together to wrap up the film. And then a month after filming officially wraps, Loretta realized she was pregnant. (gasps) And she was actually shocked because she's like, I didn't know you could get pregnant just from one time. Like she thought you had to do it a lot. She finally tells her sisters and mom and they devise a plan. She knew if she told her studio, they would force her to have an abortion like they had done for so many in the past. And they actually hid the pregnancy from the studio. The studio was not involved in fixing this. She finished shooting whatever film she had lined up. Then stories of her exhaustion began to pop up. She appeared in public just enough to keep rumors at bay. And towards the end of her pregnancy, she was off to Europe. And then she was back in August of that year where news stories started popping up that she had some mystery uh, mystery illness. Now, this illness um, would take her out of work for at least two months, according to reports. And it was never disclosed officially what it was, but it was always sort of loosely um, described as extremely delicate in nature, which was code back then for like female part oriented. They always say delicate condition. Yes. The pussy is very delicate. It's a delicate condition. (laughs) So at that point, she starts hiding out at her little cottage in Venice. Now, despite all their efforts, rumors were still swirling. And so they invited a gossip columnist named Dorothy Manners in for a visit. She did the interview from her bed with um, strategically placed pillows around her big bump. So Manners writes a story that puts the kibosh on all the rumors, but it's kind of unclear if she truly bought it or was just helping the Youngs out. From her bed, um, Young just basically painted herself as a woman um, recovering from an illness. In the article, she says, I am slender and I look delicate, but I am not. Um, she said she was sad to miss her sister's upcoming wedding, but told Dorothy, I've still got my books, my thoughts, and my cigarettes. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, God. I know. So Loretta eventually gives birth in this cottage, which her mother had soundproof before the the due date happened. Stop. But she screamed so loud while she was in the process of giving birth, they chloroformed her to make her stop screaming. Is that good for the baby? I don't... I have no idea, but that is crazy. That just doesn't sound right to me. That's like the most 1930s way right? to silence a woman is using chloroform. It doesn't seem helpful to me. It seems dangerous because you do need the woman to push. I don't think anyone getting chloroform for any reason is safe, probably. <laughs> is it used for any official reason other it, than murdering someone? <laughs> like, yeah, I've never... Yeah, what is it? What is its official capacity? Um... Anyway, I'm sure it's not this. So she gives um, birth to a little girl. She names her Judy after St. Jude, the patron saint, according to Loretta, of difficult situations. That afternoon, according to um, the rumors, a telegram is sent to Clark Gable, who is in New York for the premiere of Mutiny on the Bounty, that says, beautiful blue-eyed blonde baby girl born 8.15 this morning. And supposedly Gable tore the telegram into pieces. (gasps) 
Now, in the next few weeks, she just basically hides out in this Venice house with Judy um, and a nurse, obviously. Uh, And then her doctor files a birth certificate um, saying that her mom is Margaret Young and the father's space is left blank. A few months later, Loretta is back on the publicity junket and she's even like writing articles again for the fan mags, including one called How to Be Beautiful. She wrote that? Yeah. Uh, And she writes some various other things and does interviews about her recovery from her mystery illness. She then goes back to work while her baby is hidden in her Venice cottage. After a blackmail threat happens, Loretta actually places Judy in a Catholic orphanage with plans to adopt her at a later point. Wow. So on June 10th, 1937, she announces to the press that she has adopted two girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. A month later, she said, actually, the four-year-old's adoption fell through, um, so I'll just be adopting the one (laughs) child, and that's Judy. Her birth date had been changed to make her seem older than she was. Wow. So everything seems to be settled. The press um, moves on to kind of like, you know, following her love life. Loretta becomes more and more of a moral scold, even keeping swearing jars on set. She's one of those bitches. Wow. I don't like the swear jars. It's like, grow up. You don't have to like it, but I'm not putting a fucking nickel in there. Especially if it's, I can understand if it's like kids, even though whatever, but that makes sense at least. But when it's like adults scolding each other for swearing. On on like set? Come on. Yeah. So a lot of people now attribute this sort of over moral attitude, obviously, sort of more, it's more about self-shaming than it is about anything else. But still, she was famously someone who had a real stick up her ass. Like that was who, that was what she was known as, but um, also considered one of Hollywood's biggest hypocrites and phonies. Joan Crawford famously said about her, every time she sins, she builds a church. Oh yeah. So no one wants that uh, reputation. At least I don't. Unfortunately for Loretta, her plan hit a snag when Judy had ears that were very prominent, much like a big Hollywood star. This is so mean. It's very mean. So she, what was the press being like, wow, this tr- this baby has a big-ass elephant ear. Well, she didn't allow that it to be seen. She always put Judy in bonnets. Oh, so, so they were like, Judy, that's suspicious. Why is she, she hiding the ears? Why is she still wearing bonnets at five? Yeah. Um, but when her bonnet days were kind of over, she eventually puts her daughter and she gets daughter, her daughter gets surgery to have them pinned back. So she gets ear surgery. Oh my God. So Loretta eventually marries an ad exec named Tom Lewis and they have two sons, Chris and Peter. She does eventually start opposite of Clark Gable again, a move a lot of people see as like a publicity move. Like, well, if I had a baby with him, why would I start with him again? Right. Like that kind of thing. But by this point in her career, she had really established herself as this devoted family woman. She was obviously famously this devout Catholic. And she kind of left the film world, like I said, up top and sort of moved on to this huge TV show. Um, she basically had that. Then she started working a lot with various Catholic charities and she kind of stayed out of the press. But the rumor always remained something that was whispered about. Now, in 1958, at the age of 23, Judy finally learns her dad was Clark Gable when she is about to get married. She's talking to her fiancé, talking about how she's unsure if she should um, get married because she doesn't even know who she really is uh, at this point. Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't know who my dad is. And he's like, 
Your dad's Clark Gable. <laughs> Haven't you heard the rumor? That's so what her stepdad, her fiance, or her fiance says that. Oh my god! Yeah. So even he, kind of, it's like it's so well known that even the guy knows. Like it's not just like women who follow the Hollywood rags, right? It's pretty right. like out there. And she talks about this story in her 1994 memoir called Uncommon Knowledge. Um, so she said by that point she had been really estranged from her mother, and part of the estrangement was due to this um, deception. Yeah. She kind of sensed that it was happening. But the final straw was at this Mother's Day event, apparently. Um, she finally really confronted Loretta about the Clark Gable rumor. And apparently Loretta was so stressed by her demanding an answer, she puked <gasps> at the Mother's Day event. And she was like, never talk to me. Like, it's so dramatic, right? Yeah. And then Judy, like, didn't really talk to her. It took a long time for them to rebuild their relationship. On the first page of her book, she says, my life has been filled with hypocrisy and deception from the moment I was born. And she really goes after Loretta in this memoir and kind of, deifies Clark Gable. Whoa. Um, That's why. Why? I guess because it's like easy to do. Because she I think it's know pretty him. common for kids to always act like my real parent is probably the great one. Right. Um, but he rejected her. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he played like you didn't know. But come on. like he I feel make, like He didn't make an attempt. No. And he did die many, many years. He died in like the 50s. Have they done a DNA test? Like now, have they exhumed uh, his body? Well, no, but I'll get to it. Okay. I'll get to more information. So Loretta was very pious, and so it was kind of easy, I think, to paint her as the villain, this classic hypocrite who sits in judgment of everyone else while she does tons of immoral things with no consequence. So in 1998, and I'm just going to say up front, this is a story of her son, Chris, and his wife, Linda. Linda says that Judy and her are watching Larry King live when she hears the term date rape for the first time. (gasps) Now, Loretta is like in her 80s. She's like 85 at this point. She asked her daughter-in-law, Linda, to explain what that term means. And according to Linda, she says, quote, Basically, when you're, this is Linda's description, basically when you're with someone you trust or literally on a date with them, you're not compliant or you're saying no and they're not listening or they can't hear it or believe the old myth of, oh, you really want it. I said, it doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be rip your clothes off. It's when your no isn't a no. Linda says that after being thoughtful for some time, Loretta said to her, that's what happened between me and Clark. Oh my God. She did not want Judy to know, however, since their relationship was on the mend at this point, and she had Linda keep this a secret. She herself was working on her own memoir, which was set to be published after her death, in which she finally would publicly confirm for the first time that Judy was Clark Gable's daughter. Wow. So she died on August 12th, 2000 at age 87. The memoir was released, um, and this is the first time this story officially was anything like people did obviously read Judy's memoir back in the nineties, but it wasn't really a hundred percent believed until um, she kind of confirmed it in her book. Loretta. Loretta. Then in 2001, Judy dies of lymphoma at the age of 78. So they never did a DNA test, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's pretty clear that that's, this is the true story. Yeah. Loretta confirms this in her book. Yes. 
And it was after Judy died that Chris and Linda finally think it's okay to tell the world what they said after Loretta learned the term date rape, that she basically said that that was what happened with her and Clark Gable. So this was obviously a very controversial story when it broke. Some film historians historians really scoffed at this claim, saying it, it could never be proven. And obviously, most of these type of things are he said, she said, right? And this is so old. So... Um, they were a lot of some people were like, oh, she found a way to finally make it not her fault. Um, wow. They didn't. Buy, some people didn't buy that she didn't know what the term date rape was. I buy that a hundred percent. I do buy that. So one historian, David Sten, who has written biographies of Jean Harlow, Clara Bow, uh, he also wrote the book on Girl Twenty Seven, which we've covered before in an episode, um, and he. He obviously, you know, recognizes that this is a film historian's nightmare. This new piece of information puts a lot of, uh, you know, it's horrible, obviously. He's like, it's entirely conceivable that Loretta Young's version is true. It's also possible that her Catholic guilt caused her to reframe the narrative decades later. It speaks to the tragic and unjust attitudes of the era. Not only did Loretta have the shame of premarital sex, but she had the burden of pregnancy. Uh, And Judy also said in her biography that, Loretta did tell her, you are my mortal sin. Whoa. So she did grow up thinking that horrible thing. He said in the context of 1930s Hollywood, what Gable is accused of doing is not only conceivable, but was acceptable at the time. Like no one would have thought twice about this. Um, He said millions of women wanted to be in her position. And that's the, that's what people would have said. Like who doesn't want to fuck Clark Gable? Yeah. Um, And he even had movies before Call of the Wild, where he manhandles women and it's like something seen as like, oh, they love it. Like they're saying no and whatever. So he's like, it's kind of like he can buy it either way. She was devout, but she was also um, a tough person, a survivor. Um, And he explains the fact that she worked with him again, because obviously people are like, why'd they have breakfast the next morning? Why'd they do this? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, of course she would work with him again. That was like her career, and she probably squashed it down and wasn't thinking of it anymore. She probably blamed herself. Yes. So he also goes on to say there's something deeply poignant about her only understanding what happened many decades later. And I agree with that, because I think that is very true. I, I mentioned before where I didn't even know and until I saw it on like an Oprah, I was like, oh, like that's bad. Like right. it's like sometimes you just don't know if it's all you know, that's the way things are until you see that other people agree that it wasn't good. Or you're in therapy and your therapist is like absolutely horrified by what you're telling them. And they're like, Yeah, that was um you were assaulted. <laughs> yes. And you're like, What? Yeah. But and you're just describing it very point blank and you don't realize until then, it's shocking that when they, someone tells you that you're like, "Wait, what?" Even though it seems so obvious, but you yourself right. are are in denial about it. Yeah. So he, I, I thought that was very sad too when she asked what it was because it was like this realization. That's to me that is like so believable. Yeah, and, and like you can absolutely see that happening. And I, I also buy that she asked them not to say anything while Judy was alive because she probably didn't want to have her think, you know oh, I was a product of rape on top of it all. Like, yes. So yes. I understand that as well. So that's the full story wow. on that whole shebang. Like, 
it's way darker than I think anyone initially thought. It's really dark uh, and sad. So I guess we can take a break here and we'll be back with more urban legends and conspiracy theories. They're a little lighter. So I wanted to get this one out of the way <laughs> first. Wow. Wow. Um, but yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. We'll be back. Rachel, have you ever heard the story of Lord Lucan or know anything about it? Why does that sound so familiar? Well... I feel like a lot of our listeners who are pretty well-versed in true crime and scandal at some point have probably come across the mysterious disappearance of Lord Lucan. Um, I'll give you a TLDR uh, for those of you who don't uh, know anything. 
Lord Lucan was a British aristocrat born in 1932. He was very handsome. He had a mustache. He drove an Aston Martin. He was a huge gambler and was even considered for the role of James Bond at some point. Wow. So he eventually gets married, has three kids, but the marriage implodes and he's pretty devastated at that point because he's on, he's set to lose custody of his kids. And this really increases whatever erratic behavior he has going on to begin with. He starts obsessively spying on his wife while simultaneously spiraling with his other vices, namely gambling, which gives his financial situation a severe hit. On the evening of uh, November 7th, 1974, the nanny of Lucan's children, Sandra Rivet, is bludgeoned to death in the kitchen of their family home. Lady Lucan is also attacked and identifies her husband as the assailant. When police go to look for him, he's already taken off. Now, He's never seen again. The last sighting of him is driving away in his car, which is later found abandoned in New Haven. Its interior stained with blood and its boot, which is a trunk, yeah, <laughs> uh, contains a piece of bandaged lead pipe. Now, this is very similar to one that was found at the crime scene. Despite the police issuing a warrant for his arrest, he never appears and basically, for all intents and purposes, vanishes. At an inquest into the nanny's death, which is held in June of 1975, the jury returns a verdict naming Lucan as her killer in absentia. Now, his fate remains a subject of debate, uh, conspiracy theories. Um, There's lots of research into where he went. There have been hundreds of alleged sightings that have been reported all over the place in countries worldwide. Um, None of them were ever substantiated. And he's legally, he's declared legally dead in 1999. That early? That early? Well, he could still be alive in 99. He's 1934. I guess, but people get legally declared legally dead all the time. Oh yeah, I guess if they're missing. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, he could still be, technically, he could still be alive now. He could. So this is... Maybe something that could be a full episode one day, but for now, we're just going to focus on one of the wilder conspiracies. And there are a ton. Like, people go off. Um, so, He's like uh, D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Where Acor- is he? Where is he? Yeah. What happened? So according to a crime writer, crime writer whose name is being withheld for legal reasons, not by me, but by the article, which was uh, in Vice... And it's written by Dr. Dre, D-R-A-Y. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the writer's name. Oh, that's the writer's name. So not Dr. Dre. But Dr. But Dre. Dr. Dre, like Draymond, maybe? I don't know. Dr. Dre. So according, that's according to him. Um, so there's a huge legal, there's a huge like affidavit or testimony statement Uh, attached to this article, which I read, that goes into great detail. So you can check it out if you want to really get the full story from this mysterious crime writer who talks to um, someone very familiar with the the case. Okay, so this person is trying to break... They're trying to break down what really happened. Yes. So according to this guy, he says, I believe the real murderer is still at large. He doesn't think Lucan killed the nanny. Honestly, that was my first thought, that this seems like too perfect and was a total frame-up job. So according to this guy, the murderer is now a rich and famous Hollywood film star. Okay, well, I didn't think that. (laughs) And and as, as I said, Lord Lucan did not kill Sandra Rivet. Now, this crime writer at some point 
gets um, this call to meet with this fellow who claims to have inside info. They meet up and he explains that he was on the scene in London during this period. He was um, active in this particular area of London called Forest Green, which had become a mecca for weightlifters. Now there was it was there that he met a successful body, bodybuilding competitor named Arnold Schwarzenegger. <gasps> Come on. <laughs> You're telling me that this anonymous crime writer is charging that Arnold Schwarzenegger did the murders and framed Lord Lucan. Well, I'll get into it. So obviously at the time, there's not a lot of money in competitive bodybuilding. And a lot of these guys, including Schwarzenegger, made money by being hired muscle for local gangsters, including things like roughing people up who owed gambling debt um, and to kind of like make get people to make their payments on time, that kind of stuff. Uh, Schwarzenegger does talk about this and his other more violent tendencies, including fights that he got to back in the day in one of his books. So it's not exactly surprising considering a lot of these guys were big muscles and no money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are pumping themselves with a ton of illegal substances, including obviously steroids. And we all know like unregulated testosterone and all of that stuff can be really dangerous uh, for people and can fuck someone up. So this guy says Schwarzenegger in his work for these gambling club owners and gangsters was regularly seen bopping around London in a transit van with a lead pipe wrapped in something called elastoplastic in the back of his car. This elastoplastic allowed you to keep your grip on a slippery, bloody pipe, which tends to happen when you're beating people up. So it's some kind of rubber wrap. In the 1960s, gambling wasn't as like official as it is today in those kind of places. There was no cash at any at the table, so it was all IOUs. So getting collection was a big part of um, the casino gambling business in London at the time. You always had to have people going out the next day collecting these debts that people, you know, racked up the night before. That seems dangerous. Yeah, for sure. Now, Schwarzenegger at this point had dreams of going to America, which he saw as the first step in hitting the big time. And in those days, it was really tough to obtain a green card. You needed to be squeaky clean, have a lot of money, and usually have a sponsor. So Schwarzenegger didn't have any of these things. He um, had a bit of a record for some violent acts in his past. And obviously, his reputation in London was not too great at the time either. But through his collection side hustle, he had been able to meet some pretty rich and powerful people, one of whom was Lord Lucan. Although Lucan was a degenerate gambler on the verge of self-destruction, he still was very connected. One of his closest friends happened to be a U.S. senator at the time, and at some point Schwarzenegger asked Lucan if he could help a brother out and ask his senator friend for a favor, fast-tracking Arnie on the green card track. Mm. Lord Lucan was happy to help out Arnold Schwarzenegger, the guy who always threatens to bash his brains in, but he wanted a favor in return. He needed to get rid of his crazy wife. The plan was set, but things took a Fargo turn when the plan was executed. Oh my God. The hit was set up so that Lady Lucan's nanny had the night off and Lord Lucan sorted it so that the door of the house, because they were still living in the same house at the time, was unlocked on that night. Their plan was that Arnold would head over there, bash her head in with that lead pipe with a elastoplast, then take the body out to the woods, burn it, and bury the remains in this hole that they had pre-dug. He would then um, just basically get out of the country. 
hop right on like whatever and leave and go to the U.S. And it would be uh, the perfect crime. Of course, it was not the perfect crime. So for whatever reason, the nanny did not go out that night and she was home when Arnold came in. He had never seen Lady Lucan before. So when he saw Sandra in the house, he assumed that that was Lady Lucan, bashed her in the head and killing her almost instantly with one hit. He did um, hit her again, but the first one was pretty much fatal. At that point, Lord Lucan comes down to help him get rid of the body, and he realizes it's the wrong woman. Oh, my God. So they're fucked. Schwarzenegger goes out to the getaway car, and he's, like, thinking about leaving. Like, he's like, I don't want to get involved in this mess. As Lord Lucan is sitting there stunned, trying to figure out what to do, Lady Lucan comes into the kitchen and loses it. At that point, he doesn't know what to do except for to, to take her out. So, obviously... He's not as strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he basically just hits his wife with a pipe a few times, but doesn't kill her. So she sees him. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So at that point, he runs out of the house to see that Arnold is still in the getaway car. He jumps in, and they speed off into the night. Now, at some point, they realize they're both pretty much fucked, and Arnold has killed the wrong woman. Lord Lucan is like, what do I do? My wife saw me. She knows it's me. And Arnold just starts like weighing his options at this point. Yeah. So he decides that the best course of action is for him to kill Lord Lucan. That's the only person linking him to the crime. And Lord Lucan has been seen attacking his wife and not killing her. So there's no choice, no chance he'll ever get custody now or avoid bankruptcy. So he'll turn on him, right? Yeah. So according to this guy, Arnold kills him, like hits him with the same lead pipe and dumps his body in the grave that they buried, they they dug for Lord Lady Lucan and buries him there. They never thought to check this grave site? <laughs> no. I guess they don't know where it is. They don't know is. where it is. Well, did so, he haul, because did he dump the, he dumped the car and then what, carried him, carried his body to another site? Yes, because they do find the car at some right. point. And yeah. it's, there's blood in the car. Yes. So at that point, he sticks with the rest of the plan. He skips town and is never um, suspected or associated with the crime. Uh, And obviously, this goes on to become a huge mystery. We all know what happened to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He becomes a huge celebrity, the governor of California, the governator. He was the governor. Remember that? That Honestly, I I remember that happening and thinking, wow. This is wild. We have like a... <laughs> uh, who would have thought a Hollywood celebrity would yeah. get into politics? I guess we had Reagan. I know, but it was crazy. But it was crazy because he was a bigger star, I He think. was a bigger star than Ronald Reagan. I don't... And also it was happening while I was like young. Right. I'm younger. sure back in the day people thought that about Reagan probably, you know? And it just never fucking ends, does he? No. So... Obviously, um, people have asked Arnold Schwarzenegger about this, uh, including this crime writer guy. This guy asked him to his face? He asked Arnold if he was an official suspect in the case, and he received a reply, we can neither confirm or deny the accusation. Wait. (laughs) Who, who, what, his publicist I guess, but I was like, why don't you just say no? We can neither confirm (laughs) nor deny? I mean, that's what he said. It's not like he showed us the... I doubt it. I don't believe this guy. 
Um, it's certainly interesting. It is a really interesting conspiracy theory. It's very funny because it's like let's. It just kind of feels like who is a famous celebrity who is large enough to beat someone up. And, and was actually in London at that time. And was in London at the time, and they just randomly picked Arnie. I mean, I, I, this is an, this is what I talk about when I say I wish conspiracy theories could be still be fun. Yeah, because I like these where it's like, oh, good job, you hmm. made something work. Right. I'm sure we can pick it apart, and there's probably timeline issues if you really look into it. And, but it's like I like it. Yeah, this this one, I mean, in terms of as far as conspiracy theory goes, especially where we are today as a society, this isn't like, you know, a particularly harmful to society conspiracy theory. No, and it's like, it's one of those ones where it's like, that would be crazy. Right? <laughs> that would be really crazy if all of a sudden he was arrested for this murder. Yeah, 50 years later. We would later. be losing it. it. That would be crazy. We would absolutely fucking lose it. Um, so Netflix would be shitting their pants trying to get out a docu-series. They would have the worst documentary ever out in like four weeks. Because they'd shit it out so fast. But then um, also people would be like trying to shit out the biopic. Oh, totally. Um, okay, so I'm ending on an even stupider conspiracy one theory. Hell yeah. And this one is really funny. So there was a very old rumor around Hollywood, and it's sort of the one I saw on Reddit initially that made me go down this rabbit hole said this. Two executives were arguing over who was more powerful. Eventually, one said to the other, I can bet, I bet I can make anybody a star. The other guy says, you're on for whatever money amount it was, but I get to pick the guy. He then racks his brain trying to think of the guy he knows with the least amount of talent, no no charisma, not hot, et cetera, et cetera, and overall just fucking sucks. And he says, finally, I pick my hairdresser. <gasps> the hairdresser, Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I love it. Okay, I love it. This is like... um. Pygmalion. Yeah. She's all that, but with Steven Seagal. Now, there's another version of the rumor that I found in the article, or one of the main articles I used for this Mel magazine by Mike Rampton, that he has the version of this rumor that goes more like this. Uh, Steven Seagal has his movie career because of a bet made by Hollywood super agent Mike Ovitz. Now, Ovitz, as you might know, was very powerful in Hollywood at that point in time, we probably talked about him in some episodes at some point. And he was claiming he could make even the least charismatic asshole he had ever met. Like, for example, his shithead Aikido teacher, Steven Seagal, <laughs> into a movie star. Now, he then, according to the rumor, then pulled some strings, worked his magic, and obviously this whatever you think about Steven Seagal uh, was on billboards and it was a big action star. He sucks, dude. <clears throat> now, part of the reason this rumor sounds so legit is because Steven Seagal today, especially, is not much of a leading man anymore. He's not in anything remotely approaching a major fe- feature film. He's a weirdo. He's out of shape. He can't fight. And let's be honest, he was never much of an actor to begin with. Um, all he had was his ability to fight. So he can't even do that anymore. It was astounding. I mean, it, this is the perfect person to pick for this conspiracy theory yes. because it was absolutely astounding that this guy had a career at all. And it makes sense, too, that two bored, powerful multimillionaires, much like in the movie Trading 
trading places would just decide to up in someone's life for a bet and make the world believe this buffoonish asshole is a star is just kind of like icing on like not only can we do that to him but we'll make everyone else look stupid too yeah just for kicks right uh so if you think back to Steven Seagal's big breakout movie, Above the Law, it seemed very plausible um, at the time that he was an action movie star, however. According to the article, he's 6'4". He was considered to be handsome by many people. Who? Well, they, they show this article from People Magazine where it was like, stud, <laughs> Steven Seagal, hot, handsome. Never. He was married to Kelly LeBrock. That's crazy. Right? Remember that relationship? N- okay, that's crazy. That also, I believe that's also a conspiracy. Um, so, and he could actually do some cool martial arts fighting. Like he was, he did know a little bit what okay, he was doing. Maybe, okay, here's, here's how I could believe he was legitimately like, you know, uh, whatever, not part of a conspiracy is because at the time he was like the Westerner, the white guy who was doing martial arts. Right. He was like the one guy. And there was like this sort of B-list action star roster. Yeah. Right? Like Jean-Claude Van Damme, him. There were kind of big stars, but they weren't like, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis, I guess. With were the sort crossover. of A-list. They were like the more, they had more crossover appeal maybe. Right. And there is actually someone who's an expert on Steven Seagal. What? Is it Miles? (laughs) No, it's Outlaw. His name is Outlaw Vern. I don't know what his real name is, or maybe that is his real name. Who am I to say? Uh, He thinks he's like, oh, people are just saying this now because he's gained weight and he makes really bad direct-to-video movies. So it's like a revisionist history to claim that he wasn't the real deal ever and that he could only get this... because of um, this bet I mean, that look, happened. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever watched a single Steven Seagal movie. He was, this is not, he's not like, I'm not the demographic for his films. I never have been. He's just, oh, he was just always a presence at yeah, some point. Like absolutely. there was one time where he was just around. And he just always wore those kind of like jackets with a Nero collar. Remember? He, he looked like he was like, he had the little ponytail. He looked like he was <laughs> just like ready to be in the dojo at any minute. Honestly, I read a lot of things about him and I feel like we should do an episode on him because he is actually a criminal and like bad guy, yeah. but also hilariously self-delusional. Oh, so there's, I'm going to totally. get to some of his stories. Now, as with most rumors, Rachel, this is partly true. What? Yes. He was... The Aikido teacher to Mike Ovitz <laughs> back during those days. That's how con- some conspiracies are successful is because they take a grain of truth. Yes. And he really wanted Seagal to be a star. And he's like, my Aikido teacher is amazing. And everyone's like, Mike, you're crazy. Well, he took him to get a screen test and everyone was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but Ovitz convinced them to let him just come in and do a live Aikido demonstration. And that impressed them. Like his acting on the screen did not impress them. They did like the martial arts and that led to the movie Above the Law. He literally got a starring role his first movie. Why can't this be me? Why can't, I know. Why can't there be someone in Hollywood tangential to my life that delusionally believes in me this much? Where's my champion? Seriously. <laughs> I need a powerful champion. I need a very powerful champion where I get cast in a 
blockbuster movie and everyone's like, who the fuck is this bitch? I want to be in like a reenactment and everyone's like, this is the best reenactment I've ever seen. <laughs> Where they're like, shit, she's good. She- <laughs> I have to say I'm impressed. She She's nominated for the reenactees. Um, so yeah. Um, this writer in, of this article I read, he was like, this guy, his ease to superstardom like he didn't have to work up at all. Like he literally had done stunts in a few movies. That's yeah. it. And he he speculates that that's why he is so humorless and absolutely delusional about who he is. Um, he takes himself very seriously. He's kind of famous for that. Um, even when he was on SNL, oh, he was he told the yeah. writers they were not allowed to like poke fun at his image. Right, David Spade. Um, said at some point that he refused to make fun of himself at all. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't play at all. And then in other sketches, he was fighting us. Like he just... Isn't he considered like the worst host of all time? I wouldn't doubt it because the whole... Every celebrity who does that, it's like at some point you're doing a sketch which pokes fun at your image. That's like the point of SNL for a lot of celebrities. It's like the ones who aren't known for their comedy, but they have a certain image. They all, like all of them, they all poke fun at themselves, like whether it's during the opening monologue or elsewhere. And oftentimes these action movie stars parody themselves in movies as well, well doing like kindergarten cop or like taking a comic route for their action. All the way. Yeah, they'll take their action image and start sort of moving into comedy. Uh, they subvert it. Yeah, they subvert it. But he never did that. Now, a lot of his um, humorless aspects come out when you start to hear about his backstory and his lore. Um, a lot of it is bullshit. Like one thing that is true is he was the first foreigner to run an Aikido dojo in Japan. Like that's like something he always talks about and that is true. But a lot of the other stuff is just completely false. He claims to have trained with martial arts masters and they're like, we never met him. We've never met. We don't know him. He also alludes that he had a career in the CIA, and that is almost all but certainly untrue. Well, you're not supposed to say that. Absolutely. He um, was born and raised in a pretty middle-class existence in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, but his story, his backstory is that he was like a rough-and-tumble kid growing up in Brooklyn. Even his own mother has come out and said he was a puny kid. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's also a huge-ass sexist which is bad, but even worse than that, he's been accused at this point now of rape, sexual assault, and sexual trafficking like in the past few years. Holy shit. Multiple stories of him groping women during auditions. Famous actresses have come out and said that accused him of various things, including Juliana Margulies, Portia de Rossi, Jenny McCarthy, Ray Don Chong. Like, so pretty big names have come out and said he's a fucking creep. Yeah. And I 100% buy it. I believe it. So he's also referred to, referred to female reporters as cocksuckers and dirty whores. Like, he's just a pig. No, he's a disgusting person. That's so, why I don't feel bad um, making fun of him. Oh, no. He's totally... He's on, terrible. He's a great target. He's also angered stunt performance... Stunt, I'm sorry, stunt performers on countless number of his films. Um, one which led to a really infamous fight story that uh, <laughs> I got to tell you in detail. So we're going to take a little offshoot here this is for his movie out for justice all of his movies have titles like this by the way yeah i have no idea so he has no respect for his stunt people who basically do all the hard work for him yeah 
And he, at some point, is working with a really famous judo master named Jean LaBelle, who was on this set. And he, according to Jean LaBelle, Seagal, Seagal stated to him, due to his Aikido training, he was immune to being choked unconscious. Now... <laughs> Obviously, Jean LaBelle is like, well, let's let's try it out. Because oh at this point, he was sick of uh, Seagal's shit. Seagal said go, and then LaBelle proceeded to choke him unconscious, so unconscious that Seagal, Seagal shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. Yes. Oh, my God. Now, this is crazy because in his Wikipedia page, I looked up Jean LaBelle. After he made Steven Seagal shit his pants... He was added to this roster called the Dirty Dozen, which was a group of martial artists willing to answer to a public challenge made by Seagal. Because Seagal was always challenging these masters. So they put together like this army to take him down of like this, all these people. And he talks about this story on numerous, um, like, I think he was on like Joe Rogan, Howard Stern, talking about, because he hates Seagal, obviously. Um, So I love that he made him shit his pants. That's just crazy. Yeah. Jean LaBelle also said, if a guy soils himself, you can't blame him. If he's just had a nice big dinner an hour before, he might have a tendency to do that. (laughs) Oh, my God. So that's even owning him harder, in my opinion, to make an excuse for why he shit himself. Yeah. It's like, you know, he had a big dinner, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So people he's worked with have also talked about what an idiot he is. Um, Stephen Toblowski has a great tale about him working together on The Glimmer Man. Um, he said, like, mid-filming, Seagal decided he wouldn't kill people anymore. So they had to completely rewrite the script of him not killing. It's like an action movie. What? So they had to keep... Yeah, it's crazy. Um, there's also this famous story of someone um, where he's, like, falling off a boat in a muumuu during the filming of Exit Wounds. <laughs> Wait, on purpose? Like for No. The- <laughs> he was being such an asshole, he forgot which door he was meant to go through. <laughs> so after reading this, I was like, okay, maybe I should see some of these movies. I love that he's in a moo-moo. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to watch some of these movies now to see. I think there's compilations, though. Of like his dumbest movies? Yes. yes or I moments. watch a compilation. I don't think I could handle like an hour and a half of this guy. He's just... He's there's, awful. There's something about him, even as a child, that just always creeped me out about him. No, I always disliked him, and I did not get what Kelly LeBrock was doing at all. Because he him. wasn't hot. He no. He didn't have charisma. No. He didn't have any of it for me. And his movies just seemed really boring. Yes. So just to confirm everything 100%, um, in his memoir, Who is Mike Ovitz?, Ovitz um, describes how he made him into a movie star. Wow. So he fully owns that I did this. And after he did this, Seagal fired him. After he said this? After he, no, after he made him a star. Uh, so Steven Seagal almost immediately fired Mike Ovitz. As his agent? Yes. What? Are you kidding me? No. He, it was only a few years after he started making films. And he complained to Mike Ovitz that he should be winning Oscars by this point. Come on, dude. And he said that he felt pigeonholed in the action world. You're just lucky to be here. Ovitz said in his book that Seagal said, I think I'm as good an actor as Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, all those guys. Uh, and Ovitz says that he had fallen prey to the entirely human delusion that if you succeed in one arena, you can do anything. Honestly, I really despise this man. Well, 
My other favorite rumor that I came across sort of that illustrates this even more is with his new agent, whoever he got after Ovitz. At some point, the agent um, answers the door in the middle of the the night. Oh, no, he gets called to Stephen's house in the middle of the night. Stephen answers the door wearing a kimono and is crying. The agent (laughs) says, Stephen, what's wrong? And Stephen says, I just read the most beautiful screenplay I've ever read. Wow, the agent says, that's wonderful. Who wrote it? Stephen looks at him and says, I did. I hate this guy, Desi. In the kimono. Can't you picture it? Yeah, I can. It's so gross. It's truly gross. So, I really hate him. <laughs> I really hate him. So basically the story of Ovitz turning a talentless nobody into a superstar is true. It is true. It's true. And, and although he might be worse now than he was back then, it seems like he was always kind of a piece of shit. Like... An ungrateful, entitled piece of shit at best. Yes. At best. Yeah. Because then there's all this other crap about him. Right. And it might be a good episode at some point because he's he's written a few books and I think some books have been written about him as well. And Ugh. he's gross. But what, is, what is he even doing today? Do, doesn't he like he's live like in a Russia? Putin, yeah. He's like a Putin apologist, basically. He's like a Putin stan. Yeah. He loves him. He loves Russia and Putin. He like lives for them. This guy's such a weirdo. He's a real weirdo, like truly a weird person deep down, um, and not in a good way. No, not in a good way, like in a evil way. Um, so yeah, those are my weird Hollywood rumors and conspiracy theories. Wow, I kind of want to pick up where you left off and find some additional ones for next week. I actually found some. More, so I definitely feel like we can go into these. Maybe we'll do another next week. Yeah, it was really fun. Because I, the thing is, Desi, you know that I have a really big story planned for the end of March, beginning of April. Right, I have a big one too. I want to do. So we just need to we need to work on our schedule and figure out how to do them. That's why I'm thinking of doing doing a compilation next week would be good too. Yeah, we can we can fill in the time. With some of these more fun, we lighter, get some bigger ones coming. Yeah, no, I have a big one too. So we need to schedule schedule that crap. A little behind the scenes information. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, cool. Subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. There is some new content up there we just uploaded, and we are now going to continue with our recap of the Ashley Simpson show, episodes five and six. Yeah, of season two. Bye. Bye.